This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. This is the podcast for young makers, about young makers, and by young makers. We're going to be shining a spotlight on some really fantastic young people making incredible things. So, our guest today, finally I'm breaking away from that knife trend. We've got a fantastic young woodturner from the UK. He is... uh, He's been recognized as a, you know, by some some organizations. I'll let him tell you guys more about that. But he's just really fantastic doing lots of bowls and segmented things and so yeah, I'm really excited to have on the fantastic Nathaniel Griffiths. Hello. Hi. Uh it's really great to be on the podcast. It's uh quite exciting. Yeah, thank you. So, would you like to um Tell about yourself, give them a proper introduction, and we'll get right uh, into it. Yeah, so I'm Nathaniel Griffiths, and I, like you said, I really do, I like doing a lot of wood turning. Um, so I specialize in segmented bowls and vases and stuff, and yeah, I've been wood turning for about three years. I started, uh, I started in year nine in school, I'm 16 now and 17 next month. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. All right. Well, that's some, some really interesting stuff that I'm really excited to get into. So, uh, I know, let's get right into what's the, what's been going on in your shop this week? What have you been doing? So I've not been doing a huge amount of making this week. I've been sort of reorganizing and rearranging my workshop and, uh, cause, uh, a lot of a lot of uh i've got quite a big workshop but it's filled with a lot of stuff so there ends up being not a huge amount of room and the my lathe which is the thing that i use the most generates a huge amount of dust and it ends up just landing on everything and uh being a mess so uh i'm trying to kind of sort that out a bit um uh, i was thinking of having a curtain to separate my lathe off from the rest of the workshop to keep everything from getting dusty but uh other than that then uh yeah I've, I've also been working on some ducting and uh getting some of my machines hooked up to dust extraction which should really help but with the dust situation but i'm not sh- i'm not sure how that'll go yet well that's some really exciting stuff you know shop progression is always uh a good thing i know i just did a lot of setup recently you know, about a month ago, and yeah, I know, I'll take, like, a piece of wood onto my 2x72, and, like, yeah, everything gets covered pretty quick. Yeah. I wonder if you could even just do a box around the lathe that goes around, you know, three sides of it or something. Yeah, Just to well, contain it a little. That's, uh, that was another idea, but, uh, I'm quite, I mean, I, I've got quite a lot of stuff in my workshop, so it'd be quite a cramped space especially if I'm making videos and stuff to get the camera around without it being in the way so the the idea with the curtain was to that when I'm not using the lathe then I can get it out of the way and kind of open up the whole workspace so it's not as uh, small and enclosed oh yeah that's a fantastic idea I might have to do that for my grinder too because I know yeah 
I mess everything up. And I'm in a garage and it's like only half, I can only use half the garage because the other half is full of stuff. So then mm. I just see the stuff on the other side getting covered in dust and yeah, <laughs> just hope they don't make me clean it. <laughs> yeah, it goes everywhere. Um, in my shop this past week, it's been, uh, this past whole month has been really slow. If you're an avid listener, you'll know that I, um, I've been taking a couple summer courses to get ahead in school and I've been camping quite a bit this last month, only twice, but you know, it takes time. So, you know, school's taken up so much. I've been working, you know, six or eight hours a day on that just at home and it's brutal but I just finished I wrote the exam yesterday and today I'm straight into it I've got two knives that I'm forging out and I just came inside to record so hopefully by the time this podcast goes up one of them will be uh one of them will be finished and it feels really good to get back into the shop because I've just been sitting for a month and it feels so good to breathe in some dust I'll tell you fresh air sucks yeah it's uh definitely feels once especially once you've had a break then it feels really good to get back uh back making stuff again no doubt so yeah i'm just really excited to be working again and um so yeah that's my past past week future week will be a lot more interesting and um so I guess our next question is, let's look back even further than the past week. How did you get into woodworking? You know, yeah. tell me the whole backstory. Yeah, so I I think I said mentioned at the beginning that I started in year nine, uh, about three years ago. Uh, so I I was first introduced to wood uh, woodworking in, uh, in the school DT lesson. And my DT teacher has been was been really helpful in like getting me going and stuff. So I was I attempted making these little uh, I think they're called kururins and it's like a little rolling toy like a fidget toy on the lathe out of wood and uh, that was really fun and so I uh, after a few months of making these little things in in school then I got a lathe at home and I started making like little Christmas trees to give to people as presents and uh, that was really fun. Uh, and then over over the past few years, then I've slowly got more and more machines to do different jobs, and uh, now I've got uh, a workshop where I can make anything that I need to. Well, yeah, that's a that's how it goes, isn't it? So, you, did you say you're DT teacher? Yeah, DT design technology. Oh, okay. um, I don't know whether you have that over there in America or well, Canada. We we have it. We just don't call it that. So I was a little confused, uh, but I see. now that I understand, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, I know. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. So it's uh, we. Uh, I first started out in a, a little side shed next to the house, and. Uh, but then uh, we and then after I got a few more machines and I moved into the garage like uh, like you are now uh, but then we moved house a couple of years ago and I didn't have anywhere to work so I had all my machines in in a little shed and I had to when I wanted to use them I had to pull them out onto into the back garden and uh, and then use them and then put them back in the shed so it was a bit of a pain but I suppose anything that uh if it works 
Well, I hear that. I started out in a in a townhouse, and I had maybe maybe it was four by six, maybe even four by eight foot little gravel area beside the deck, and it was tiny, right? So I just had one table for my forge. I had my anvil beside it, and then every even the forge, I had to pack everything into just like a little storage bin beside it and pull everything out. So when I moved here and I got I've got a big tent in the backyard and a garage in the well, attached to the house. And it makes such a big difference to be able to get yourself set up how you like it and to have your tools where you want them when you want them that it's just it's really fantastic. It makes a big difference when you don't have to move everything around. Yeah, definitely. It's uh it's really really great when you can just walk up to a machine turn it on and then use it and there's not uh there's not 15 minutes of setup before and then afterwards to get it uh, packed away again yeah well i find i waste enough time in the shop anyways i spent i got up this morning and started working at 10 and i didn't start you know actually doing work until noon like it takes all the fiddling around before you can really get to work is brutal so it just adding to that is not helpful yeah definitely it's uh i always find if i want to make something i end up spending ages before trying to uh trying to get everything sorted ready to go well it's definitely a struggle and especially if you have school and stuff and so yeah. that leads me into one of my questions is um how do you balance your school life with making things because I know that's been a struggle for me the past I'd say year or so because I play sports and I you know do whatever and so I find that I only have time you know some weekends to get into the shop so mm -hmm. how do you make time for the shop or do you just when you when you have when you're sitting do you just get up and go to the shop how you know how do you make time to get to work well uh, I mean obviously over the past over the past few months we've not actually been going into school because of uh, covid but yeah it's uh it's, but, so, but before that then uh normally i'd uh, go in in the day and then when i get it's like as soon as i get home then i just go in the workshop for a few hours until until it's tea time and then i just stay in there all night basically until i got to go to bed and it's uh yeah it's uh really good to be able to I mean, difficult to manage manage time, but it's really good when you can have a really long uh, amount of time in the workshop just making stuff. No doubt, my birthday is tomorrow, and I know I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna oh, work really? all day. <laughs> Happy birthday! Yeah. Oh, thank you. That's why we had scheduled this for tomorrow, and then I realized I had said uh, the yeah, wrong day, so I I got to be working tomorrow. <laughs> but do you find you can work late into the night? Because I always I get tired and I just go lay down. Yeah, well, it uh, it depends what I've been doing that day. Normally, then I get uh, normally I get quite tired, but yeah, normally maybe ten o'clock I try and I try and go to bed. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. or at least come in. Well, a lot of sleep is nice too. I funk like I find even since I started making knives, I go to sleep earlier. Like I, do do you find that is that a weird thing or do you feel like you're healthier since you started? being creative yeah i think so it's uh yeah it's a way to rather than being you have a lot of, if you have any like a uh, built-up stress or anything then it's a really good way to just relax because you don't really have to think about anything you can just make 
and all you have to worry about is uh, that you or the thing you're making doesn't get damaged and that it all looks really nice so you don't have to worry about uh, anything else really so it's really great and you can uh, de-stress very easily that's the most calming stress in the world (laughs) yeah isn't it well and I guess that leads me into another question you said you like to work late sometimes do you have neighbors around yeah so it's that's a bit of a problem actually so we're I live right in the middle of a quite a residential area and I've got to be careful because if I start using some of the loud machines late into the you know late at night then uh, you know we need to be careful that uh, we don't get any sound complaints or any noise complaints so it's uh, when it gets past a certain time then I can only use some of the quieter machines and only do like uh, hand tool stuff and sanding and things yeah and well I feel like woodworking is probably usually quieter than blacksmithing you know because I know my forge sounds like a jet engine and then I'm hammering. So I try to limit that time and then my grinders are, you know, it's grinding metal. It it howls. So, you know, yeah, how loud, uh, what are your loudest tools? What are these tools you're worried about? Well, loud, loudest thing is probably the, uh, probably the table saw and that makes a racket when I turn it on. But it's uh, right. a lot of uh, things like the lathe. They're very, very quiet, but they're, it's just the... Um, when you're using the chisel to to turn stuff then uh, it's kind of an irregular sound and even if it's not very loud then it it draws your attention to it because it's not a constant sound yeah well well, that's a struggle for young makers too because I don't know when you're allowed to drive in Britain I can't drive myself around you know if I if I could afford a real shop I couldn't bring myself there just you know by myself I'd have to get a ride and that's that's a barrier for sure and we'll talk about that later in the challenges and advantages of starting young but for now you know we're talking about tools and your shop do you want to because I feel like a lot of our listeners are probably knife makers right now just because that's the community that I'm in so would you like to take us through the rough process of uh, turning a bowl or you know whatever you I know you make a lot of bowls so yeah take us through the rough process of a bowl I know you dry a lot of your own wood so I, I'd love to hear about that because I know I just buy dried wood for knife handles so I'd like to hear more take us through your process yeah yeah definitely so when I'm making a bowl if I make a bowl out of a nice wood for example that's uh, that I've already bought a dried bowl blank from uh, so if I make a if I make a bowl from a, an already dried bowl blank then it's much easier because you can just stick the wood on the lathe and then turn the bowl in one session and then it's done. Whereas with drying your own wood, you've got to do it in two stages. So you roughly shape the bowl and you do it a lot thicker. So you make a really, really thick bowl that may be two or three centimetres thick, depending on how big the bowl is. And then you've got to wait for the wood to dry and it's called rough turning the wood. And so that rather than a giant huge chunk of wood having to dry all the way through, then you've already shaped it to almost what it's going to be like when it's finished. So it's got much less thickness that it's got to dry. Uh, And then once it's dried, you can put it back on the lathe and make it all nice into the finished, into the finished bowl. Uh, But once you, when you make a bowl, you attach the wood onto the, onto the lathe with screws, and then you can turn the bottom of the bowl. 
Uh, and so that you can hollow it out, then you need to make a, it's called a tenon on the bottom of the bowl uh, that you can use a chuck to grip to. Uh, so once you turn the bottom of the bowl, you can flip it back over and grip the bottom of the bowl in the chuck uh, to hollow it out. And then you can use some, uh, they're called button jaws, and they grip onto the outside of the bowl, and then you can just remove the tenon that you used to hold the bowl on the lathe to do the inside, and you can just get rid of it. Okay. Well, I know I just got a lathe recently. I've seen pictures of yours. Mine, you know, it's a tabletop lathe, but it's long enough you could turn like a baseball bat or something. It, it's pretty yeah, big, nice. decent size. So I'm really excited to get into some of that when I find some free time, you know. Uh, yeah. So it's really interesting to hear how you do it. Um, I'm curious to hear how are you finishing your bowls? Because I know with knife handles and stuff, I do a lot of kitchen knives, so it's they have to be water resistant. They can't be too slick when wet, so and they have to last. So you don't want to do a lacquer or a CA glue finish that's going to turn white over time or bubble or anything like that and the expansion and contraction of the wood is a big factor too so I'd be curious to hear how are you finishing bowls and are you doing like a bowl you'd eat cereal and milk and stuff like wet things out of or is it just you know something you'd put you know whole apples or you know a fruit bowl or whatever uh yeah so it's when I finish it, typically when with wooden bowls especially, you don't want to be putting liquids in them because, especially over time, it'll start to, even if you've got the best finish in the world on it, it'll wear through it and then start rotting the wood away. So normally you want to avoid liquids when uh, when using wooden bowls. But oh, I've exposed my ignorance. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, so it's um, normally they're used for... Uh, a lot of mine are used for uh, fruit bowls and stuff like that. They're really, really nice for that because if they've got a food safe finish on them, that if they if it comes into contact with food, it doesn't damage or it doesn't isn't toxic for the food. Then with something like an apple where you eat the outside, then uh, you need a non toxic finish or otherwise it's going to be not good. <laughs> so it's uh, a lot of bowls I use uh, wax, but that and that makes a really nice shiny finish. But that can't be. That isn't. Not all wax is a food safe. So with with uh, fruit bowls and stuff, then you need to use uh, an oil. Is generally quite good for that because then it soaks into the wood and gives it a, a protective uh, finish without being toxic to whatever you put in it. Do you ever do both? Uh, it's generally not. You can't put oil on the top of wax because the wax will repel the oil. Well, no, but uh, you oil it and then, and then wax uh, it for for a polished finish. I never have done in the past, but I suppose there's no reason why you couldn't. It's uh, yeah, it's normally I just use one or the other because it's especially with the amount of time it takes. Then, because you have to wait for the for the oil to dry, and then because uh, normally when you can just put a coat of oil on it and then it's done basically, and then over the next few days or however long, then it'll dry. And then, but by that point, you've already finished it, so it won't matter. Whereas if you're putting, say, wax on top of it, then you'd have to leave it, like, in the workshop or wherever on the lathe until the oil is dried, uh, enough for you to put the wax on the top. Oh, I see. Because, yeah, I know I hear a lot of knife makers talking about, you know, doing both to try and 
to try and get the best of both worlds. I've never done... Well, I guess I have. I've buffed with a little bit of beeswax mixed with linseed oil sometimes. Um, but I suppose it depends on the wood. Do you prefer to work with a lot of oily woods or, you know, drier woods like oak? Uh, excuse me. Um, normally, uh, with turning, then the uh, the exotic woods are really, really uh, interesting to turn and they look really nice. But they they can be a bit of a nightmare with uh, with especially how oily they are because I think uh, some woods have I think it's silica and it dulls the tools really really quickly so you end up uh, having a really like loads of tear out in the wood in the in a bowl for example so although exotic woods can sometimes be nice to turn then a lot of the time it's much easier and more fun to turn uh, more native woods like uh, say oak or sycamore for example that's really interesting because I know like most of the the knife work I do is all with abrasives and sandpaper so the only problem I have is I did a knife handle in ebony last year and I went through so much sandpaper it just clogs it up like nothing else but now like water doesn't touch it it's so so dense and shiny it's really nice when it's finished but I know those those exotic woods are tough to work with. Yeah, definitely. And that, and I believe silica in wood too, you don't want to be breathing breathing no, any definitely. woods that have silica. Yeah, and you that, want to make sure you've got a respirator for doing oh, stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> and well, that brings me to another question. Starting so young, we, you know, our bodies are something you almost, you need to think about almost more than adults. Just because, you know, if you're going to be turning or forging or whatever for 70 plus years potentially you know you really have to be careful to take care of yourself for example like hammering you know and forging and stuff i know my arm is just gonna it's just gonna destroy it right so i try and focus really carefully on technique and having a healthy hammering technique and not using a hammer too heavy is there anything that you do special to try and preserve you know, your working, preserve your working life, per, elongate your potential working time? Uh, yeah, so it's, with the, with woodworking, there's not as much, uh, I don't know, physical strain, would you say? Whereas with blacksmithing, yeah. there's obviously a lot of, like, hammering and all, all that kind of thing. With woodworking, then it's more, uh, I'm not saying the blacksmithing isn't about skill, but with woodworking, it's more skilled in like physical, or knowing more how, how knowing how to use the tools rather than uh, fi- like physically using the tool. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, so it's we're more with woodworking. It's the breathing because if uh, if all the dust gets in your lungs, then that can be really really bad. So it's uh, I've got a, a full face respirator that I use, and for wood turning especially. And that's really, really good at keeping out all the dust and, uh, you know, and so to be super safe. Yeah. Well, I know some people might have misunderstood your statement about the skill involved in blacksmithing. (laughs) I I know what you mean. But anybody who's offended, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully they'll figure it out. No, blacksmithing takes skill too, he knows. Don't worry, guys. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But, no, they're... Definitely. I know I turned a little bit at school a year ago and well, it's hard to get um, proportions 
That's what I find. Mm. What did you find was the hardest thing? You know, coming in young, especially, you don't come with a lot of background knowledge. If you have someone who, for example, if a knife maker who's been making knives for 20 years wanted to start woodworking, there's some transferable skills. But coming straight into a trade like that, or a craft, you, because we're so young, you don't come in with a lot of previous knowledge. So what did you find was the hardest thing to pick up when you started turning? Uh, I think the the tool skill in using the, the wood turning tools, that was, uh, I found that quite difficult because there's so many different ways you can use a tool on a piece of wood, then it's, that it's uh, especially on the lathe, then it can be uh, quite difficult to know when to use them and then be able to use them. But over time then I've got, well, I've got much better at that and then and now I can use almost any tool and it's when I need to so it's uh, yeah okay so yeah that base those base skills are hard to build I know for me probably one of the hardest things to pick up was how thin you can make things before they're no good you know like knives mm. especially when you're forging it's so hot and floppy that you feel like oh well if I make it any thinner than this you know it's gonna be flapping but you know once you learn the capabilities of the material I feel like is almost one of the hardest things to pick up as well as the use of the tool and I know yeah. when I was turning too I was turning these big clunky things and someday I hope to learn some finesse yeah that's uh, I think I've never tried metalworking I'd really like to give it a go but uh, I can imagine it would be uh well it'll be very difficult it looks really fun though I'll tell you it is but I believe any making stuff is is fantastic I'm excited to get into wood turning too I just have I have a bandsaw and a lathe it's kind of the extent of my woodworking tools and a, a small assortment of lathe chisels that I was given so I'm excited to learn about that but I wanted to get into you have been voted or chosen I'm not sure how the process works you'll have to tell me about it but you were the young or yeah you were the young wood turner young British wood turner of the year last year yeah yeah so um the uh I was told about this uh, competition that was going on by another uh, another wood turner uh, about a year and a half ago uh, and the uh, so I thought you know that would be you know it might be quite interesting to to enter something and then uh, you know because it was uh, so because the exhibition was going to be held in London and I thought you know it would be quite cool to take a trip to London and go and uh, see all the all the wood turned sculptures and stuff so I I thought I made a I made these uh, two segmented vases. And uh, and I made them in the in the back garden. That was at the time where I didn't have a workshop, so I was uh, I was turning them like uh, in the rain and stuff. So <laughs> that was uh, and like in the winter when it was dark. So um, I made these these two vases and entered them into the competition. And um, and yeah, so that I they they picked I think about ten people. There were three categories, and from each one they picked about ten people to go down to London. And uh, and they they picked me as one of the people that they wanted to uh, that they wanted to have their thing shown in the in the gallery, and um, 
yeah so we went down to london and then uh out of the people that were there then uh they did a i think it's a um they they were three judges and they judged from each category which one was the best or which one they they wanted to win and uh anyway yeah so mine won the uh young uh the young wood turner i think it is yeah young wood turner award uh for i think it's under 18s so that was that was really good well that's incredible do you know how many people were entered into your category uh i think it was somewhere i think it was about 1800 i'm not sure something around there so quite quite a lot yeah that's amazing and do you know if they're going to be doing that remotely or something this year or is it just cancelled uh i think it's just cancelled for this year but it was uh it was in may last year that it uh, that they did it so it was uh, it already would have passed oh, so but it's uh yeah yeah there would be some good young makers news or something i guess i should start looking out for that yeah. i also <laughs> saw on your page that you are or were i don't know if it's it's done but um there was that that competition i saw on your page about and you were trying to get people to vote for you i can't remember yeah. what it was called but do you want to talk about that yeah so um i made a uh, there's a, a not a separate competition uh the young artist summer show uh that's being held by the royal academy in london royal academy of arts and i uh i thought i'd make something to enter that as well and um well as i say as well it's like a year apart but i i thought i'd make something to enter into that uh a couple of months ago and anyway yes yeah, so i got an email saying that they wanted that in london as well <laughs> so that was uh that was exciting but uh you can vote for the the public can vote for the uh who they want to win so each i think there's it's uh, for schools so it's like for school students and uh in each year there's two winners and each winner gets like a gift cards and art supplies and stuff for their school so uh if uh if anyone wanted to vote for me or for, vote for my artwork uh then uh my school could win some uh some gift cards and stuff which would be good <laughs> well we'll definitely put the link to that in the the show notes so anyone anyone around can check that out well i'll post about that too and hopefully we can send a couple people to vote for you uh what did you have entered in there uh so it's it's quiz uh the sculpture is called oh, okay. uh Aeternum, uh and it's it's a ribbon sculpture and that's that's what the name of the uh the type of sculpture it is and um yeah so it's uh yeah i've seen that and it's really beautiful so we'll have to we'll have to show some love we'll have to send people your way and we'll try and try and get your school to win that that yeah, would be awesome. <laughs> so, you are basically famous, and now well. that you're on here, you're world famous. But it sounds like you're. Um, <laughs> sounds like you're doing a lot of like one-off pieces. Do you do a lot of? Do you do much production work or selling much um, of your work? I I do sell quite a bit of stuff, but it's um. Uh, mostly bowls and stuff but uh, yeah I do I do prefer doing one-off pieces I find it quite difficult especially when turning to do a lot of the same thing because if you're making say 
10 or 15 things, for example, then it takes a long time and quite a lot of effort to get them all exactly the same. And even, and I suppose they don't all have to be exactly the same. They have to be relatively close, but it's, uh, I, and I, especially I can find it can get quite boring after a while. If I'm making multiple of the same thing, then because it's the same process and the same wood and the same tooling and the same movements that you've got to do to make these things, then it can get quite boring. But uh, so that's why I much prefer making one-off pieces because not only are they more interesting to make, but they're um, people can uh, know that they've got the only one in the world. So it's uh, I quite like that about doing one-off pieces as well. Yeah, it's a nice, nice marketing thing there. Yeah. Well, I know I can't work on multiple knives at the same time. Like I just get distracted. I need to focus on one at a time to um, focus in on the details. You know, I I can't switch because I'll be thinking fully about one, and then if I switch to another one halfway through, it really throws me off, and I find it hard to come back. So I know I I never work on multiple. I'd like to get into batches eventually, but for now. One at a time. Yeah. So, let's get into... We're about halfway through the show, roughly. And it's about time to get into the the young makers aspect of this. So, do you want to talk about the challenges of being a young maker? Do you get... You know, do you have any problems with, you know, people not taking you seriously? Or... Just anything you can think of that you think would be solved if you were uh, five years older. Uh, yeah, well, I think a lot of people... Uh, well, I mean, uh, 99% of people that like meet me and talk to me and stuff are really supportive and uh, really helpful uh, and like showing me different techniques and things to do. But I think if, a few times then uh, I've come across people that are quite... Um, they even if I've been doing it for if even if I've been doing something for longer than them, then uh, a lot of people don't like it if I try and like tell tell them what to do if you know what I mean. So yeah. even I've been wood turning for three years, and I've put a lot of like a huge amount of time into it, like hours and hours a day. And even if somebody if somebody who's older than me has put like say five years into it. But they've only spent an hour or two a day, uh, or even a few hours a week. Then, even though I'm much lo- even though I'm much younger than them and been doing it for less time, then I've spent more hours actually doing it. So I think people can, even if I know something, I think it's uh, sometimes I need to not say anything because a lot of people don't like someone who's younger than them trying to tell them what to do. Well, I think it seems, what's the word, presumptuous? Is that the right word? Uh, Probably. Yeah. And, you know, but it's not. I've seen your work and you're really just fantastic. If you gave me advice, I wouldn't complain. I guess I'm younger oh, than you. you. But, <laughs> you know, and um, I guess that is one thing you sort of have to bite your tongue sometimes. Mm, yeah. And, you know, there was one I just thought of today that I wanted to bring up. When I was little, like... You can't find work clothes or equipment that fits, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> like trying to buy welding gloves for a 12-year-old, it's, that's tricky. Even the women's ones didn't really fit. Yeah. Or like safety glasses just bobbling around on your head, like, it's tough. 
So that's that's the biggest issue, in my opinion. It's the hardest thing. Yeah, it's uh, definitely something that can be quite tricky. When I was uh, when I was younger and obviously not as tall, then uh, a lot of the machines were very high up, and uh, yeah, I found them some of them quite difficult to use because they were so tall. You see, it's the little things, <laughs> literally little things that make a difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I thought of something too, when you were talking about um, people that are pretty new into woodworking, do you call them green woodworkers? Oh, uh, well, that's, um, it's, uh, oh, yeah, well, that's, um, a green wood, a green wood is, yeah, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm used to talking to people that uh, know all these uh, all the wood turning terms no 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 it's a joke but, but, though uh, because green I know green wood is like fresh oh yeah fresh wood that's moisture but I mean you know if you oh, call yeah, someone yeah. green it means they're like new so I thought yeah 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 oh green so, yeah worker. sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was funny yeah green woodworkers we're gonna make it a thing yeah that definitely that'd be uh, <laughs> that'd be funny <laughs> It clearly wasn't. Well, I I think, uh, I just think I didn't guess it there. (laughs) It's fine. Hopefully somebody out there is chuckling at my expense. Yeah. (laughs) So now let's, let's change the subject real quick here. What are some advantages of starting young? You know, uh, I think some advantages is some advantages are rather that even if you make something that isn't you know amazing there's even if it if it's nice but isn't you know the best then people will really support you and encourage you because you know you're young and you're only starting out and it can be really really helpful to hear people say you know this thing's this thing that you've made is really nice even if it's not as good as some of the professionals you know then for somebody to say that this thing that you've just made is really amazing and really really good then it can be really you know, a lot more people are are willing to say something, even if it's you know, a lot more people are willing to be encouraging when when you're young. So it can be uh, really nice. That is nice, and you know, the community. I know I don't know about woodworking, but I know knife making. Everyone's really open to share techniques and help. There's no secrecy involved. You know, when you make up a new technique it's you just share it out and it becomes you know common knowledge which is really nice people are helpful but do you also find there's a flip side to to that willingness to say something nice where it's hard to find constructive criticism because i know Uh, sometimes i'll make a knife and i'll be like man there's something off about this and i'll show someone they're like you know like what's what's up with this what can i fix about it and they're like oh no it's great you'll fix you the next one will be even better so that's not helpful. <laughs> I I think it depends who it is really because if there's someone who you uh I don't know, you spend a lot of time with, for example, and they're you know, they're really good, then I think it's much better to try and get, you know, criticism from them because you know that they're you know, you know that they won't uh I suppose you know uh lie to you not lie, but you know, you know what I mean. Yeah, just sugarcoat it yeah yeah well I know my parents and this is going to sound bad but my parents have always been good at telling me you know when it sucks they're they're always supportive and they're like oh yeah that looks great but what's this you know and then it's 
which is nice. I like it. I don't know. Some people maybe can't take it, but I, I like the constructive criticism, and I appreciate that. Because sometimes it is hard to find people to tell you that you suck. Sometimes <laughs> it's what you need. And I suppose yeah. another advantage to it, to being young too, would be, um, you know, the fact that, oh my God, I had it right here. No, don't worry about it. There's lots of advantages to starting young. You get plenty of time to work. No responsibilities. You know, I'm sort of taking this month. I have one month, you know, before school starts. The government has just announced that we will be going back to in-school classes. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I bet you it won't be for long, though, once they realize that it's awful. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, I've got a month of time, and I'm going to see if I could... You know, if I can make it roughly equivalent to full-time money now, then it means that I have still two more years to build a business that will make money. If I had a job, I would have to go into work, you know. Yeah. But here I have time to build skills and build a following and get set up before I have to, you know, rely on it. Yeah, definitely. I think um, something that I'd, uh, I'd like to do in the future is have my like like you uh have my own business and i think it'd be really good to uh be able to like to make a living from uh you know purely from selling stuff that i make rather than you know working for somebody else so do you work for somebody else or right now i don't know how locked down things are there right now but Uh, yeah i mean it's everything's i mean stuff starting to open back up again now but it's still everything's really locked down mate still but um uh, yeah i don't uh i don't work for anyone i'm just still uh i just do woodworking now which is really great yeah well it's it's nicer like i know i was i was thinking about it today because i plan to get to work by 10 because i can't really start too too early and 10 30 rolled around and th- you know I walked into the shop at 10.30 and nobody, I didn't have any boss yelling at me for coming in half an hour late. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. I didn't, I didn't like that I was late, but you know, things, things took longer. So yeah, it's, it's definitely nice if I want to, you know, I'm a kid still. So if I want to hang out with friends or whatever, or I have sports or anything, it's nice that it's very flexible. Yeah. You can just take a day off whenever you need really. Yeah. So I really tried to find a job last year, and then once I sold my first knife, I decided, well, no, that's it. I don't, I don't want a job. Yeah. So do you plan on trying to make it through woodworking, or are you planning on getting a day job? Uh, I'd like to try and make a living off woodworking entirely, but uh, I know that's going to be quite difficult. I think uh, there's only a few professional wood turners that make a living from wood turning and a lot of them make their money from uh, wood turning classes rather than actually selling the things that they make so that might be a direction to go down and, and teach people but uh, I'm not sure at the moment I'll uh, I'll see one day <laughs> yeah you've got time of course I'm just I like to ask people that because I have all these uh, grand schemes and such for for air and iron and steel and I like to see what other people think, you know. But yeah, the future, 
the future is full of good stuff, especially for, you know, someone like you. You make really, really just nice stuff. Like, I'm sure you could, you could probably do it depending on, you know, where your priorities are. I'm not you, but <laughs> it's, it's nice that you have that, that you can make a little bit of side money no matter what you're doing. Yeah. And it's I nice think, that uh, you'll be set up. I, I noticed you talked about having a lot of tools and a shop and stuff. Where do you... Like, have you saved up, you know, your own money for tools, or do you have somebody around you that's helping you out with tools, or, you know, so where are those what, coming from? Yeah, so when I when I first started out, then I used the, uh, the workshop at school, and then for, I think it was Christmas, my uh, my parents bought, bought me a lathe for Christmas, and that was great, and then since then I've, uh, you know, I've, I've had a few quite a few machines from family like uh like my grandparents and stuff and uh as well and then i've saved up money that i have made from selling stuff and bought some machines that way as well and that's been a really good way of uh you know building my workshop up yeah that's really nice because i know my grandpa is uh is a welder and he has lots of extra tools around he lets me you know, he says I'm borrowing them indefinitely, so we'll see when I have to buy it from him. <laughs> but it's definitely nice to have uh, to have tools given to you. And that reminds me of another uh, another of the serious challenges of being a young maker is when you tell people at school or whatever your friends that oh yeah I make all this money doing you know knives or wood turning or whatever, and they're like oh man. You should have, you know, nice shoes and clothes. I was talking about this with somebody on Instagram yesterday. It's a struggle, you know? Mm, yeah. You know, people think you... They don't seem to realize that there's more important things to buy, like sandpaper. More expensive <laughs> sandpapers. My goodness. That's a whole nother rant. I should do a whole episode just yelling about how expensive sandpaper is. I could go for hours. <laughs> yeah. I think... Uh I think I could probably join you on that one as well. <laughs> yeah, sure. We'll have you next episode. It's just us yelling about sandpaper for an hour. Make sure you <laughs> tune in. But, you know, it's, like I said, there's little, little things that are frustrating, like big gloves and sandpaper. Yeah. Now I'm just looking at my um, question sheet here. And I find that I'm sort of running out of questions. Oh, here's here's a good one that I thought of earlier, too. So, the way I see it, there are a few um, like classes of making things, you know, handwork. You got, like, trades, crafts, and arts, right? So mm -hmm. you can be a tradesman, a craftsman, and you're a cra tradesperson, craftsperson, or an artist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people don't see the differences, really. They say arts and crafts, but I think it's pretty distinct. And I believe that the difference is function, right? Art serves less utilitarian function than something that a craftsperson would make. And then a tradesperson, you're taking the art out of it completely. And the way I see it, do you consider yourself to be an artist or... I'd, I'd assume you're not considering it a trade. It's pretty pretty artsy, especially with one-off pieces. Your sculptures are beautiful. 
So are you, do you consider yourself an artist or a craftsperson? Uh, I like to think, I think, I like to think of myself more of an artist, but uh, there is a lot of craft in there as well. Stuff that's um, function, more functional rather than uh, just purely artistic. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's tricky to be, I think if I wanted to make money purely from uh, sculptures and stuff or purely from woodworking in the future I think probably one of the easiest things to do would be or, or the easier routes to take would be an artist because a lot of people are more if you can find the right market then people will pay you know hundreds and hundreds of pounds for a work of art whereas to sell a bowl for example then you know maximum you can sell that for is a hundred pounds for a really a really nice one so it's uh yeah i guess there are two routes you can take is you know art and and um production right and i i sort of err more towards the production side just because i love um having a finished piece i consider myself a craftsman for sure and i do a couple artsy things once in a while but i don't even consider myself to be particularly artistic or even particularly creative depending on your definition of creativity creativity um like i just i make knives function is number one you know i'm starting to make even more just simple you know two-piece knives just a piece of wood and a piece of metal and i really love that look i love that simple utilitarian aesthetic and it allows you to make almost a better use knife in my opinion so yeah, I err to the side of craft yeah I think um, yeah you're uh, I'm just looking at some of your knives now they're really really good I think oh, the um, oh it's okay I think uh, some of them are very 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 artistic rather than just uh, functional because although they are you. designed primarily for function then they are really works of art as well And I guess, you know, if you, I don't know, I doubt you listen to Knife Talk, you're not a knife guy, but you would know that Jeff Fader, one of the hosts of Knife Talk and Full Blast Podcast here on The Makery, check him out, he he hates artists, so I guess he won't listen to this episode, or he'll be mad listening to this, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. he talks a lot about um, taking the passion out of, out of the the creative the creative process right so he talks a lot about and that's when it goes from an art to a craft almost is passion and when you know you can go off on a whim and what you know you see a tree and you're like oh i want to make a bowl that looks like that tree then you can err to the side of art and you can just go off on your passions and it's a lot more free whereas when you get into crafts you have to stay a lot more focused on what what the purpose is and that's what i'm moving towards more is craft so it's interesting to hear how other people think about it and the passion aspect i don't know this is a this is a big question to put you on the spot about but like no i don't even know how to phrase this question do you find it difficult to focus on a project because you're being dragged away by other passion projects 
I think sometimes it can be so for for example I'm working on a or I have been working on a uh, a very very big vase that's like going to be a meter tall when it's finished but and I'd really like to carry on with that but there's a lot of that's going to take a long long time to finish and I uh so I I started it about 8 months ago and I've just been working on it over a few you know a few sessions that take like a week or two long so I've been working on it for like a week or two every few months but I think to work on something that big all the time then it would be it could be a bit boring so I've yeah I've I've have found myself being dragged away and making other things as well and I find a well yeah and I've seen that that giant vase I'm excited to see when it's finished cuz that thing is looking really sweet yeah but <laughs> I find a lot of that um, passion has to be, you know, held inside when you start taking on commission work or custom orders. Do you do any of that or are you just selling whatever you make? Uh, Mainly I do, I don't, I try not to do commissions generally because I find that it can be, uh, you know, if something goes wrong, for example, then it's... uh, I find it much easier, much better to make something and then tr- and then sell it because you know then it's there and all I've got to do to sell it is you know just package it up and send it off to wherever it's going whereas if it's a commission then it can be quite stressful to make something knowing that it's got to be you know almost perfect for this for the person that's buying it whereas if it's a you know if it's already made then the, pe- the person can see what they're buying and then can decide not to buy it if it's if they don't like it, you know. I definitely do. And I take, you know, almost, well, up to this point, completely commission work. And that pressure has pushed me to, you know, improve my processes, improve my standard of quality. I know I'm looking at a knife right now that I just decided to scrap because once, you know, one second slip of the grinder... Usually I would have just finished out this knife and been proud of it, but now I'm like, oh, I can't sell this. So, and I think that's that's where the difference does come in too. And that passion aspect of it has to be taken out when you have a responsibility to complete this project and not whatever you feel like making. So hopefully I can get to the point where I stop taking, you know, so many customs because it's not, it does take out a lot of that passion. Mm, yeah definitely and that roughly leads me into another question that I wanted to ask you which was um, what drew you to wood over you know any other medium any metals or clay or anything like that was it just availability or is there something about wood that just you know makes you happy Uh, I think originally it was probably availability because you know, we had all of the, I had all of the equipment in school, and I could I could use it. Whereas I wasn't really, you know, um, there wasn't really a metalworking workshop there, so I couldn't um, I couldn't do anything like that. So it's uh, I think starting off, it definitely was more availability, but I think over time, it's uh, it's really nice to be able to make something from because before I started woodworking, then. You know, trees, you just walk past them on the the side of the road or in a forest and, you know, and they're like these really huge, like super hard, you know, things that, 
you know, you would never think that you'd be able to make something from a tree. Whereas now, then I can, you know, I could take a tree from, you know, standing in the ground to being a nice finished bowl. So it's, it's really nice to be able to, you know, make something that's usable and that looks really nice from something that you would normally just walk past and think, oh, you know, it's just a, just another tree. There's so many of them around. It's not nothing special, you know? Yeah, for sure. That is an excellent answer to that question. And I know what you're talking about. Even me as a knife maker, I look at a tree and I'm like, oh, look at that burl. Like, I could do a nice handle out of that. Yeah. I don't. I've never worked from green wood to a knife handle, but that transformation is a fantastic uh, thing to witness and thing to do. So that sort of brings me to my next question. We're wrapping it up. You know, we're close to the to the end of the episode uh, I have two more questions they're just quick ones and then we'll wrap it up so this with that let's get into these last two questions which is the first one is what is your favorite part of the process what what keeps you coming back for the next bowl uh, I think it's really nice if I just put a big piece of wood on the lathe it's really nice just to to take it down to a bowl size, uh, to a bowl shape, and just have all of the streams of of wood flying off the tool, it's really really nice. To, you know, and then you make all this progress really quickly when you're uh, when you're shaping the bowl because it's uh, you know you just you don't really have to think about it. You can just push the tool through and take these huge cuts off the side of the bowl, and uh, it's really really nice and relaxing. Oh yeah. Mine is, well, the opposite of that. Mine is um, washing the knife after it's done the first time. Yeah. Right? And you've just finished it. Everything is finally, that vision that you saw in your head is filled. And everything is just right where you want it. And you wash it off, you know, whatever oils or anything that got on there. And then you just look at it. And that feeling of accomplishment and fulfillment at finishing something that is why I keep coming back for the next you know the next knife and huh there's something special about that feeling I don't think I could do any other job now that'll you know any job that won't give me that feeling I don't think I could do it yeah it's uh it's really amazing to be able to want to be able to hold something a physical object that you've made and it be you know and you can think you know, that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for me. Yeah. Do your parents ever yell at you for bringing, like, chunks of wood or, like, you know, half-finished projects into the house and just, like, leaving them around? Uh, well, uh, no, but it is, uh, it can be a slight problem. There's, uh, a few boxes worth of half-finished projects and, uh, and stuff lying around the house, so it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> I always just leave I always just leave knife blades on the kitchen table just like you know because I'll like I always want to just look at it and then I'll finish a knife and I'll hold it for hours I always say this every episode but I just like hold it and look at it and then my mom always has to yell at me to get the knife out of the off the sofa <laughs> we the, the living room is not the place for knives I think yeah. everywhere is the place for knives I don't know what she's talking about <laughs> that's that's the other uh, disadvantage of being a young maker. You know, it's not my house. I can't leave knives everywhere. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I guess bulls are probably, you know, vases and whatever are probably a little bit different. Not well, so yeah, sharp. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, although I think if there's about uh, 30 or 40 of them hanging around the house, then they uh, <laughs> they can get quite uh, in the way. <laughs> they start to build up pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, in two seconds, oh, right now we're right at the one hour mark, exactly. We're getting to wrapping it up. Um, our last question of the day is, I asked you to pick a maker, you know, someone who has been inspiring you or has taught you something recently. You know, someone who has pushed your work to get better, anything like that. Someone who's influenced your work in the past week or, you know, recent short amount of time. I think uh, there's a really good segmented artist who makes all these really, really amazing segmented segmented vases and stuff called uh, Kyle Toth. Uh, and he's he makes some really, really amazing stuff. All right, I I'll think, have to... Uh, does he have an Instagram? Uh, I think so, yeah. it's. Um, I think it's just Kyle Toth. Ryan. Or it's uh, it's Toth Toth, so T O T H T O T H, and he makes some really amazing segmented uh, segmented sculptures on there, and you know vases and stuff. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and his stuff looks just awesome. So I will put his Instagram in the show notes, along with yours and your website, Nathaniel, and my Instagram. And the podcast Instagram, all of that will be in the show notes, as well as my pick for this week, who is another Canadian knife maker, uh, Noah Vachon. Va- Va- yeah, probably Vachon. Um, he is doing a lot of, you know, kitchen knives. He he does a grind that I don't think I've ever seen anywhere else. It's the diamond grind. So. The fat, is, the widest part is in the middle of the blade, so it almost does the effect of a an S grind. And his blades, I love the antiqued finish he does on there, and the shape of them too. Like, and his handles too. Everything about his knives I really like. And I do believe he is Canadian too, which you know is always a always a bonus. So I will put his Instagram in the link below too, or in the show notes. You guys can check that out as well. And unless, Nathaniel, if you have anything, any profound quotes you'd like to leave them with. Uh, oh, I'm not sure. Uh, keep making, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So keep making. Uh, thank you all for listening. We've had a really great reception. This is going to be our fourth episode. You know, we come out every Tuesday. And... And keep making and keep listening, I guess, is all I've got to say. Oh, hold on. That's a fantastic outro. I'm going to... Do you mind if I use that? No, no, go for it. (laughs) That's going to be great. All right, finally. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I have no idea how to end these episodes. So you know what? That's what we're going to go with. So thanks, everybody. Keep making. Keep listening. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.